0: friends, my name is Neil and welcome to this episode 98 or episode 100 part 2 of the Get Your Comic Con podcast. We are live from downtown San Diego at the convention centre and today is day 2 of San Diego Comic Con. Uh, I have so much to tell you. And we have only had one full day on the convention floor so far today. I'm currently lurking in a corner of the convention floor, uh, trying to just quickly record this intro and outro for this podcast. But I have so much to tell you. Some crazy stuff has already happened. So uh, those of you who know this podcast, or at least who know me, will know that we've been to San Diego Comic Con uh three four times now and we've never made it into hall h this year looked like it was probably going to be our first chance to get in there mainly because there is less programming because of the screen actors guild and writers guild strikes which are on at the moment we really wanted to get into hall h for two panels across the weekend one of them is the star trek universe panel which is happening tomorrow as i'm recording this the other is the teenage mutant ninja turtles mutant mayhem panel which happened yesterday well, to my complete and utter surprise, I received an email last night, uh, kind of, I guess it was late evening UK time for you guys on Thursday. I don't know, the time difference is completely screwing me up. Either way, I received an email from someone who I've never spoken to before who works at Paramount in the UK. Now we do work with Paramount, but we work with them through a third party PR company. I've never actually spoken to anybody at Paramount directly, which is just how so much of this works that you don't need to know about. But somebody at Paramount had seen that I was in San Diego and reached out to me about attending the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles panel. So not only did we get into Hall H, we got into Hall H without having to queue because <laughs> we had studio seats. It would blew my mind. It totally blew my mind but here we are we've done it we have been in hall h and it was a really cool panel we got to watch 20 minutes of the film which probably again by the time you actually get to listen to this the film will already be out um we got to watch 20 minutes of the film which was absolutely outstanding the director jeff Rowe was there and they brought out kevin eastman one of the two creators of the ninja turtles to talk about his love of the franchise and his feelings on this new version that's coming to the big screen in a couple of weeks it was magical. Hall H is basically the size of like a UK concert arena. It is massive. I have no idea exactly how many people it seats, but it is huge. And it was so cool to see it packed with Turtles fans really just enjoying everything about this upcoming movie. So a massive thank you to Paramount for that. And I can't wait to get back to the UK uh, because... There is a press screening of the film which is going to be happening a couple of days after we get back so i'm really excited to see the rest of it because the animation is just absolutely stunning show floor wise we've picked up on some cool stuff today so uh i've grabbed a couple more t-shirts because you know it's not like me to buy t-shirts we um we picked up our merch picks from the dc booth as well as checking out some other stuff i finally managed to catch up with um the team over at the HRO, uh, so Hero, uh, DC NFT trading card stand. They are super, super busy, but cool to see some of the the guys from the UK who I know over here representing for them as well. And we found this really cool new DC game, which uh, is currently only available on uh, PC, but will be coming to other platforms soon, which is called DC Jewel Force. If you have played any of the Cryptozoic DC deck builders, it's essentially a uh, computer version of that It is so much fun. Uh, We have played each other. I have beaten Boy Wonder, so I am very, very happy. Um, And I'll bring you some more content on that once we're able to get our heads around where we are, who we are, and um, what time zone we're in. But in terms of interviews, I have another special guest that I would like to introduce you to and play an interview with. So earlier today, I uh, went and hung out with the team from Boom Studios. Again, so cool to actually meet with people face-to-face who I uh, email really regularly and have just you know, never had the chance to meet or speak to before. Uh, so I went and hung out with them and did a very cool interview with a lovely, lovely writer by the name of Casey Gilley. Some of you will know her from her work on Star Wars. Uh, most of you listening to this podcast will probably know her as the writer of Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer. Yes, you heard that correct. Uh, I sincerely hope you've read it and if not, you need to go correct that right now. But Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer was a mini-series followed by a special and is now going to be another series starting in a couple of weeks which uh, takes place in a future where Buffy has grown old. Essentially she is now in her 40s, 50s and she is dealing with what it means to still have that power and still be in that world but at an age far beyond where she was ever expected to live so there was this brilliant four issue special which was this world where vampires were able to walk about in daylight uh, and i'm not going to spoil it but plenty of events had happened which had meant that the scooby gang weren't necessarily around buffy in a way that we would recognize them and it introduces a brand new character called thessaly who is this brilliant teenage character who reflects some of what buffy was like back in the early days but also challenges her in brand new ways that she's never had to face up to before and it's a wonderful story, a wonderful, wonderful story. And it was great to see that after that mini-series, it was brought back for a special, and that now Casey is back writing a brand new series. I believe the first issue drops, uh, I think it's the 1st of August. So I sat down with her earlier today, and we talked about Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer. We geeked out about Buffy a bit, we shared our love of the wonderful character of Anya, played by Emma Caulfield in the TV show. and. You're going to get to listen to it right now. So here is Casey and I. Okay, so I am here with Casey Gilley, the writer of Buffy the Last Vampire Slayer. It's been a four-issue miniseries, it's been a special, and it's about to be a brand new series which kicks off next month. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today.
1: Thank you, this is so exciting.
0: How has your con been so far?
1: A blur, a very hot blur. <laughs> Um, it's only I've only been here one day, and yesterday was just back-to-back signings and panels. I
0: saw you were signing down at the boom booth. How, did it, how, how is it when you get to meet fans in this kind of environment? It's a lot. Yeah.
1: Uh, it's great. I'm very happy for it. But my uh, most of my books started coming out during the lockdown, and I didn't meet anybody. Yeah. So I was just writing away, like, I'm sure someone's reading all this. <laughs> and then last year was my first San Diego since 2017. Oh wow. And I it just hadn't occurred to me that people were reading the books. So it was just a crush of people. I was like, <laughs> are you sure you know who I you, this is the right line? Uh and so this year I was more prepared, but it's just so nice getting to talk to people who have enjoyed yeah. the book or who are fans of Buffy or who are just excited about a new chapter in the series and I love it. So even if it is overwhelming and hot, I'm so grateful that this is my job. Yeah. I, there's nothing else I'd rather do.
0: That's amazing. So take me back to the beginning. So how did The Last Vampire Slayer first come about for you?
1: Sure. Um, so my editor, Elizabeth Bray, who was fantastic, had just moved to Boom from IDW. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth had been my editor on Star Wars and on a couple of other projects. And as soon as she got to Boom, she emailed me and said, I think I have a project for you. And it was pretty loose. She said, you know, we want to have a book where Buffy is older. And she's living in a world where the vampires can walk free. I know that it's Friday, but can you have a pitch to me by Monday? <laughs> and I said, I absolutely can. <laughs> um, so that was really it. It, it. We had a great relationship. She's one of my favorite editors. She is so great to work with. Um, the pitch was approved pretty quickly, and uh, we started scripting, I wanna say, a week later. Wow. And I wrote the first two scripts. I, I mean, it was under a week, it was some of the fastest writing I'd ever done. Um, because I just really knew what was happening and it was something that I didn't realize I had been thinking about <laughs> um, but I had so the reception was great we got to do more the reception was great we got to do more and here I am a year later still writing Elder Buffy and I love it.
0: I, I am that generation that grew up watching the show Same. I was I was a little younger than they were but it was kind of the aspirational it was probably not the right thing to say yeah, right. aspirational yeah. version of, of teens. yeah, teens yeah. yeah with the show having kind of you know ended what 20 years ago. I hate to think now. Oh um, did you have that in your mind at all, that not necessarily what had happened in the show and how it had ended, but how long fans had had to, to kind of think about what she might have done next or where her life might have taken her after the show had ended?
1: I don't think I did think about that. I think that what was top of mind for me was I have this opportunity to write in an alternate universe. Mm. So I'm not beholden to canon. Yeah, I can bring people back. I can kill people. I can have new characters. And... I can change things that were in the series that I felt like would make more sense for the story. And that was really where my head was. Um, I think that Buffy is a fascinating fandom because the people who are in it, there are things that happen in the show that I feel like there are very normal reactions to, like very common reactions of like, oh, I just don't think about that as canon because it didn't make sense or it didn't seem like it fit with the characters. Um, And the character design and development and, Everything that went into it is so consistent and good that when something didn't feel right, it was just easy to spot and go,
0: Yeah. yeah. I didn't
1: love that. <laughs> so I did have that in my head that I was really trying to separate to just focus on this story. Uh, I write a lot of licensed comics. I try not to be too much of a fan of what I'm writing yeah. because I wanna do justice to the story. Yeah. I wanna make the licensors happy and like make sure I'm on brand yeah. and make sure that, you know, their vision is upheld. But then there's also this empirically right core to every story, and that was what I really wanted to get
0: to with this. And then we jump forward now to this brand new series, which is kicking off next month. What can you tease about the next chapter?
1: So, um, everybody's a bit older. Thessaly (laughs) is in her early 20s. Wow. And she is fully living in her Slayer identity. Buffy is her watcher. They have moved to a little beach town called Santa Carmen. Um, one of my favorite movies in the whole world is Lost Boys. Yep. And uh, I uh, i don't know, creative brains just going into this arc. The only thing I could think was I want to make an uh, a Lost Boys <laughs> homage. So Thessaly works at a boardwalk. Nice. In a beach town in Northern California, which is where I'm from. And she is balancing her life between slaying and living. Um, Buffy and Spike go on a much-needed vacation. Oh. And Anya comes to be a temporary watcher. And if anybody has read my series, um, one of my favorite parts is writing Anya. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love her. I love this contentious relationship she has with Buffy. Yes, yes. Where they're really good friends, but Buffy just hates her. And Anya is so good and tries so hard. And uh, this story had been brewing since the first arc of like yep. informing why Anya is the way she is.
0: Uh, okay.
1: And I had planned to bring it into this arc... But I just finished the last issue and it exploded in a way I had not anticipated. But you do see a lot more Anya and Thessaly. And you see a lot of a different style of watcher. Okay. A different type of adult influence with another adult slayer. Which, as much as I love the series, I I did think it would be fascinating to see, like, what is an older slayer's dynamic with an older watcher? Yeah. And what if that older watcher is somebody that isn't really their watcher that they can kind of dismiss and it's also Anya.
0: <laughs> that's brilliant. Um, Absolutely brilliant.
1: So Thessaly has a girlfriend and uh, is fighting a demon group that has taken over Santa Carmen mm. and maybe there's some crossover between her girlfriend and that group. We don't know.
0: Oh, Okay, <laughs> that's, that's a tease. Uh, I wanted to ask you about this. She's such a wonderful character. There are kind of those parallels to maybe some of Buffy's journey with being a Slayer at, at a young age. But she's she's come so far in just the number of issues we've had, from this kind of runaway teen type character to to being the Slayer. Her. Well, this is what I wanted to say. I mean, I know obviously you've created her and you have kind of taken her on this journey, but how do you feel about seeing the journey she's gone on so far?
1: Uh, it's, it's hard to watch your kids grow up. <laughs> 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 and Thessaly is... Uh, Thessaly is so outside of me she has none of my voice she has you know I think sometimes as a writer it can be easy to self insert and the second I started writing Thessaly she was so foreign to me okay and I really thought so much about Tara and Willow and what their baby would be like and what she would look like and how she would age and seeing the first, I just got goosebumps, seeing the first drawings of Thessaly in her twenties, I cried.
0: Oh,
1: Cause it's, you know, it's a made up character. It's a made up <laughs> book, like, but
0: it's real to us. The
1: feelings of this journey have been so real. Yeah, um, I'm a parent. I am struggling with my kid being almost six. <laughs> and I did want to have a sense of that of Buffy was that Buffy never wanted to be a parent by choice. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that was the right choice for Buffy, and she comes to it later in life, but still has these feelings. So I wanted to have some of that reflected of, of what is that like, being so proud of this person you've cared for, and also, oh my god, they don't need me at all. And then, oh, what am I doing with my life? Yeah. Which is where Buffy's journey is in this arc, is mm. she doesn't really need me, and now I have to confront all of these things that I've been pushing aside for literally my whole life, wow. all at once. Which is her identity. Sh- spoiler, Buffy is no longer the Slayer as of the first arc. Yeah, And she's never paused to deal with what that means. And that's a reckoning she has in this arc.
0: And I presume Spike will be part of that as well. We saw when we came into the special that they had kind of been living as this dysfunctional family. Where does he fit into this story now?
1: Um, God, I love writing Spike.
0: <laughs> Who doesn't?
1: He, ugh, he's just... He loves Buffy so much. Yeah. And he's such a little baby girl and just so squishy and sweet. And the very first page I ever wrote of Buffy was a spike scene that didn't show up until the third issue of the first yeah. arc because I just knew, like, this scene <laughs> this is, is, the moment. is in here. Yeah. <laughs> and if you've read it, it's the scene where he sees her take her clothes off for the first time and is like, damn. Um, and they talk about how he still has feelings for her, even though she thinks he shouldn't. Um, Spike is definitely in the story. He is very much a supportive boyfriend and a supportive father figure to Thessaly. Uh, There is a little bit less Spike because there's a little bit more Anya. Yeah. But I think that the Spike parts of this really make an impact when he's there. He kicks off the issue with Thessaly. He's one of the first characters you see. And he's doing a very dad activity with her. Um, I love writing them together and uh, he does take a little bit of a back seat, but I do think that fans of Spike will, will really enjoy what happens with him and these issues.
0: I'm excited to see what happens. <laughs> so let's talk about the artwork for a second. So sure. you've got Oriel uh, Roig who is doing the artwork for this. Yes. How has it been seeing him bring your story to life?
1: It's so good. It's so different. Um, Joe Gero was the artist for the first two arcs, and uh, Joe is a very different artist than Oriel. Oriel has this really playful, cartoony style, there's a little bit of like surreal anatomy and surreal facial expressions and like a little bit of an anime influence that he brings mm. in, whereas Joe was like very centered and realistic. And I love how playful it is. It's actually inspired me to have a little bit more physical humor because okay. I like seeing what Oriol does with it. Yeah. And mostly, I mean, my job is to inspire an artist. Whoever that artist is, I'm going to do my best to make sure that they have room to create, that they feel like they have a voice in the story that they don't feel like it's dictated to them yeah. that they can look at a script and say okay here's what she needs to see and here's what else I can bring to it I really want to defer to their expertise yeah. so seeing someone with such a different style has just been like fascinating and so fun to watch it come
0: to life amazing yeah. now for those of us who who grew, kind of grew up watching the show we all know that the monsters were the kind of the analogy for the things that we were dealing with ourselves in real life what do you kind of hope that fans take away from this chapter of the story
1: I don't want to spoil anything, but um, a big part of this arc is the scale to which somebody can be a hero. Yeah. I tend to prefer very small stake stories. Uh, Everybody can make the world end, (laughs) but I think that it takes a different approach to have something small and personal with a much lower blast radius um, that you really see how it affects the people around you. And that's where we're going to see Anya a lot in this arc is bringing a different point of view about what it means to save somebody and what kind of people in this very black and white Slayer mindset deserve to be saved. Wow. And what does that mean for Thessaly's mindset about how she approaches Slayers and demons and monsters and things that are in between?
0: I honestly can't wait to read it I've been thank such a you. fan of it from all the issues so far so I'm thank excited so to see where it goes next thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your con you
1: too hope you guys have a great weekend thank
0: you and again a massive thank you to Boom Studios for arranging that interview for me if you want to check out the video version it will be available over on our YouTube channel please make sure to like and subscribe over there as well for now. I have some more panels to attend to and I have to plan for a ton of interviews because I'm about to sit down with the director, two of the producers and all three writers of the upcoming DC animated movie Justice League War World. So I'm going to be catching up with my good friend Jeremy Adams again. who is so fed up with me interviewing him at this point but I just really enjoy hanging out. Um, And we'll be bringing you that in another upcoming episode. So whilst I go and hyperventilate over planning that many questions, I hope you stay safe, stay well, and I will see you next time. Bye!